Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite Georgetown Hoya casual basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft. This is another post-game edition. This is coming to you live on tape delay after Villanova. I'm with Nationwide Nolan and Florida Hoya John Hawks. Guys, um, Georgetown dropped their first Big East game of the season to number nine Villanova, 76-63. Jamarco Pickett led the Hoyas with 16 points and 10 rebounds. Cutis Wahab had 12. Javon Blair had 11. It's really a game of two halves. Colin Gillespie and Caleb Daniels, both with 18 for Villanova. Villanova shot 15 for 39 from deep. Eight of those coming after the break. Um, Georgetown was seven for 23. Georgetown scored a season high for points and a half in the first half as they were leading 46-33. Georgetown then scored a season low for points in a half this year with 17 in the second half, getting outscored. 43 to 17. Georgetown's largest lead was 18. So we are looking at a very unusual college basketball game in which there was a 31 point turnaround. Guys, let's start with Nolan. What do you got? Well, it, I mean, it really is a tale of two halves. And the positives, it does look like you're at least going to be competitive this season, uh, which is something we weren't sure was going to be the case. Oh, yeah. But I, yeah. I think you take that first half. I think you look especially at Wahab, which we've kind of hammered over and over. He's the guy if we're going to be competitive this season. He was great that first half. I mean, Villanova couldn't really deal with him. Second half, he kind of lost his, his way a little bit. But I think that starting group obviously showed well. Uh, Dante Harris and, I mean, at one point, what are you up, 46 to 28? and Everything is clicking. You're playing, and that was something we had talked about before. Like, I just want to see this team pretty much push the pace as fast as they can because once they get in the half court, they're going to have trouble. And they were able to do that. I mean, they really had Villanova on their heels. So I think overall, I I think tonight was more positive than negative, even despite that second half. I I just think you have the pathway to be competitive now. Um, But unfortunately, it's the same things. That are the negatives that got away from me in the second half that, that just have to be improved upon. John? Uh, you guys, I have some very exciting news to share with all of you as we start this podcast. Um, I've been informed that our jerseys are cool as shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, really, that's really my, that, my takeaway from the yeah. game, honestly. I, I was going to this game like, you know what? I We like buzzards could come flying out of the rafters of McDonough. And I really don't care what happens tonight. Like we look good. <laughs> um, 
it's yeah i, I think I, I i think had we actually won this game wearing the the iverson throwback jerseys i think like georgetown twitter would have imploded upon itself um it yeah i it, <laughs> the actual game you know I, I do wonder, Nolan is right, it's sort of a tale of two halves. I do wonder, the sort of the big developmental for me for this team is how long is it going to be until you're going to reliably be able to get more than like basically 20 minutes of decent basketball per game, even like approaching decent basketball game out of this roster. Um, you know, it's two games against high level competition. It's always felt like you're getting like you're getting about 20 good minutes out of there and you're hanging on pretty far into the second half, but it never quite feels like the other team should be that worried. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Nolan, some of the things you wrote on Twitter during the game are kind of right on, like just, there's some structural things that just are never going to let you get 40 minutes out of this team right now. And I don't know what the pathway is to fix that stuff. Well, I- I think just to go with what you just said, I, I think the problem is is that when you're watching a team that can't really get stops, you know it's kind of fool's gold. I know at one point, um, one of the things I said was, you know, I thought one of the best defenders in the first half was the rim. Because, you know, Villanova was, you know, they went 7 for 22 from 3 in the first half. In the second half, they go 8 for 17. And a lot of those misses, like the Coppin State, obviously it's a much you know bigger talent cap with Colin, with Coppin State. But a lot of those misses were just they missed. You know what I mean? Like Georgetown didn't like defend great. They just they just missed a lot, which is where you get into the whole you know the Hoyas haven't been scoring a ton this year. They've kind of been like seventy seventy one. Um, it used to be they had to get eighty. And you know when when you put up you know forty six and a half, like that's your path to winning, getting around eighty. And um, let me just, uh, I know you guys weren't on the the post-game press conference Zoom. You might have seen some stuff on Twitter. I haven't tweeted a whole lot, but I'm sure some other people have. Um, you know, I asked him, I said, hey, you know, how are they able to change the pace? And he just said, you know, I don't really think they did. Uh, we took bad shots. We had more turnovers. Q missed some easy shots. They got hot. We made a few mistakes on rotations. Do you guys think that that's fair? Is that what you guys saw? I I said earlier today before the game, I think last year it was you allowed them to take 57 threes in two games. And tonight, and I said, ideally, the goal should be to cut that in half. If Villanova is going to beat me, it's not going to be on catch and shoot threes. And tonight they attempted 39. So, and Bobby, you said this earlier. I mean, how many did Coppin State take? 38? 38. So, I mean, just looking at it now, your three-point attempt rate defensively, I mean, 45.1% of field goal attempts are from three. And just, I'm just looking at Kempom. Last year, that would have ranked 337th just in attempts, um, that rate. And the only high major, there were two high majors with that high of a rate last year. Syracuse, obviously, with their zone. And then the other one was Texas A&M, which Buzz Williams is just doing. Who knows? Um but the thing is, you have a seven-foot center who can protect the rim. So at some point, you have to say, okay, we're going to run these guys off the three-point line, and we're going to rely on our rim protection. That's why you've recruited these centers. I, it's just hard for me to understand how he would say post-game um, that he doesn't care how many they shoot, that that's on them. I, I just don't think you can allow Villanova to shoot 39 threes. I mean, if it was Providence, yeah, I'm all for it. But 
it just feels like specific game planning, scouting report stuff. It's it just continues to be a little bit off the mark. Yeah, real quick before I get to you, John, I will since you kind of led into that next quote because I guess these quotes kind of go together. Um, I followed up that question by asking about the threes, and you know it's two games in a row. You're basically letting teams shoot forty threes. This is what he had to say. If you haven't seen it on Twitter, um, he said, "I don't care if they shoot the three. We have to sh- stop them from making a higher number. Um, if they want to take thirty nine threes, that's on them. We just made some mistakes, and they made eight or whatever they took in the second half." Um, specifically, I dug in a little bit on Gillespie. Well, I didn't dug, dig in, but I was like expanded on it and said, you know, particularly Gillespie, how do you, how do you stop that? He just said, we made some mistakes. He got out. We sunk a little too deep on some pick and rolls. Um, John, um, I guess we can probably flip to good stuff in a second, but just mm-hmm. sort of, you know, your take on the whole three point gate, I guess that we're dealing with right now. So I guess I, I don't, I don't know if I buy Ewing's interpretation of that like it's not like if they want to take this many threes fine the question is are they getting the shots that they want to get and certainly in the second half I think Villanova was very happy with the quality of shots that they're getting out of their offense I would even argue to be honest in the first half now I want to ask Nolan this do we feel like in the first half Villanova relatively cold shooting in the first half I think was a three number in the first half it was something like seven out of 21 Seven for 22, so they were 32%. I felt like Georgetown's activity on defense was – there was certainly more activity and more energy on defense in the first half, but I still felt like the quality of shot that Villanova got was still – there was pretty decent. I thought – the question I would have for Nolan is, was it really a matter in the first half of Villanova missing more of the open ones than they normally would and then not really making, like, the contested ones? And then that sort of flipped in the second half. And honestly – I felt like it flipped in the last couple of minutes of the first half, particularly once Gillespie hit the deep three next to the bench. I kind of sat up and said, ooh, that's probably a bad sign. My guess is that, like, not only is this going to regress to the mean a little bit, but Villanova kind of found something finally. I think if you look um, who got those shots, like in the first half, you let Jermaine Samuels take five threes and he missed all of them. And that's yeah. what you want to do. I mean, you let – and Robinson Earl took two in the first half. He made both. But still, and Slater took one, Dixon took one. Those are the guys. So I think a total, it was either nine or 10 of the 22 came from, you know, what would you would consider their non-shooters. And then you flip that to the second half. Uh, the three guards, Gillespie, Moore, and Daniels took, let's see, 10. Then Swider took four. So you're looking, you know, and their, their shooters in the second half end up taking 14 out of 17. And they made eight of them. So you need to do a better job of just IDing who is who. I mean, there's guys like Cole Swider. They didn't contest some of those. Like Jamarco is still at fault there. His closeouts, he just kind of half-heartedly goes into them. And that's a kid, Swider. You run him off the three-point line, what's he going to do? I mean, he might pull up and just take an 18-footer, but he's not going to create a shot for anybody. He's not going to get to the rim so it's just it's just those little things that good teams are just drilled that that we just seem to come up short on the execution of it so do we want to flip to how the first half went and you know get some get some positive stuff in there because we're definitely having like a uh the dog died start to the podcast and there was a lot of really good parts of this game right 
Yeah, like I guess the, I mean, you're not, you're not up 18 entirely by accident. Like, I don't think this is entirely fool's gold. Um, yeah. I would have, I would have argued like at, at halftime when we're up 13, I would say that's a fair representation of how the first half went. Um, maybe Villanova was a little cold. To me, I think one of the things that we probably did, a, two things we probably did a little better in the first half was we were able to get some earlier offense in transition. Like Blair clearly has, a, has an eye for shooting the quick three in transition, which is fine. Um, and you get, the, you get the, the quick offense in transition. In the half court, the ball is at least moving. You're at least able to get some shots off, off of good ball movement, whether it's on the perimeter or, I mean, we, pro- we should probably talk about you know, the sudden drop off in, in, in Wahab's field goal attempts in the second half and what accounts for that. Um, that yeah. kind of disappeared. Um, so, it just seemed like it just seemed very obvious, it seemed very evident. And I don't know if this is, Nolan, you can help me. I, I don't know if this is an adjustment by Villanova, but it seemed very evident within like the first few minutes of the second half. Oh, the offense is totally broken down now. Yeah, it's. It's always tough for me to kind of gauge that. I mean, Villanova, they don't want to play to that tempo. I mean, through the first, really all the first half, you had that where you wanted it. But, you know, they knock down some shots. They can get back on defense. Just kind of takes the air out of the ball a little bit. And we've talked about this this season. The challenge is going to be how do they score in the half court. And Wahab, when he had it rolling in the first half, that was obviously your option. I mean, they couldn't do anything with him, really. Um, their single coverage on him had no chance. And Georgetown could kind of play off him a little bit. When that went away, you know, it turns into either Blair or Pickett having to do something. And, I mean, they're good enough to pull you past Coppin State, but you get in a game like that where things just dissolve into the half court, it's it's just not enough. So, obviously, you know, Pickett almost had a 20-20 game against Coppin State, and, you know, I know a lot of people say, oh, well, look at at the level. I thought Pickett came out, obviously, you know, he was really pumped to be in the Iverson-era uniform, but he came out to me and was like, that's the guy. I wouldn't say he's at nearly good Brandon, bad bad Brandon level, but he definitely gave you a glimpse of Pickett, the NBA prospect. He came out, scored 10 of their first 17 points, he did it with mid-range, taking advantage of mismatches. He had a couple threes. I think he had two threes from the exact same spot. Um, but I thought it was really important for him to carry on. He did get another double-double. You know, 12 of his 16 points were in the first half. I thought that was pretty positive. Uh, you guys can tell me, if if I told you that Georgetown got 46 and a half and only three came from Blair, you probably would say I wasn't really watching the game that closely. That's something that this Georgetown team accomplished um, and then Dante Harris, I think at one point I tweeted, you know, Dante Harris doesn't know what he doesn't know. And what we saw from him, he had like a high, you know, he like took it, took it to the hoop, a kiss off the high glass. Um, I think he hit a mid range jumper. He was really, you know, obviously it was Coppin state, but I thought that there was, you know, Sibley got in, you saw, you saw Dante Harris, you know, Berger made that shot. I think after the Navy loss, the big thing is, okay, what are you going to get? What's, what's the foundation for next year? And man, it was hard to watch Dante Harris and not think to yourself, the minutes, the ratio of minutes between the Harrises might need to, you know, change a little bit. Go, you know, I'm not saying 50-50, but, you know, not be as lopsided as it is. So, and and then even with, 
your weird lineup, and I'll, I'll say weird, I guess it's the big lineup. I thought today really wasn't a day for Ego FA. And when Ego FA was in in the first half, they actually they held their own. I got the I got the box scores for this game. I actually printed out the first and second half. You had a time where you had, you know, uh, it's Chudier Bile, by the way. I think uh, I was pronouncing that wrong. We learned that yesterday. It's it's a Bile. So you had you had Chudian, you had Ego FA. I mean, Ego FA is plus minus in the first half. Played five minutes. He was plus eight. I really thought this was a kind of game where like he couldn't guard anybody. Like he couldn't, you know, get stretched out there. And you know, so I think there was a lot of positives, but do you th- what what would you say is the bigger positive that you know Pickett can kind of play like that versus a high level, or that now Dante Harris is a thing? I I think it's Dante Harris. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been kind of driving that bandwagon since the summer. I I just think a lot of him. Um, I think he what was he four or seven, and that was with a missed layup. Um, and I would like to see that minute. We talked about this on the last pod, maybe closer to something like 22-18. Instead of tonight, it was 27, what, 13? I think Jalen had 27 minutes and didn't do much in that time. Um, But I also think the reality is Dante's a freshman. Jalen Harris is a fifth-year guy. There was no summer. Dante didn't get on campus until, I mean, until September, I guess, from everything we've kind of piece together Um, and Jalen Harris probably got the better of him for most of the fall but at this point you kind of have to look at it towards the future and the results lately are kind of saying Dante needs some more time but I I think he is a big positive um, along with Wahab and unfortunately it was looking like Kobe Clark might be that guy but we have to wait a little bit for him now Yeah, I think of 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 the new of, of, if you take the transfers plus freshmen of the new guys that are coming in, I think Harris is the one that I think has most exceeded whatever expectation I had of him coming in. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen one that we've seen quite enough of, of Kobe Clark yet in the limited minutes. Um, and and it's on on Terry's been about around what I expected you'd probably get out of him. But yeah, the first half from from Dante Harris, you know, this is high level competition too. Like in you know, it's certainly a team that can maximize, you know, size in this matches too. That's it makes you sit up. All right, this is this is probably something to monitor. I really, I mean, God bless. I, I hate to speak negative, but God bless you know Jalen. But it, it almost seemed like to the point of almost trolling us in the game. Like he would come in, especially in the second half, and like instantly on like the first possession he'd be in would, would commit a turnover. And his turnovers today were particularly egregious, I have to say. I mean, it's it's getting into the lane and just sort of an unforced travel because you have no idea what you're doing. Or he came in, I think he came in for Dante Harris uh, when it was still, we were down by one. I think it was right as Villanova started their run and sort of got into like the free throw line area, had no idea what he was doing and just kind of blindly threw the pass that, uh, or I think it was either handed a pass off or threw a pass kind of blindly at Blair, the one that Blair slipped on and caused the turnover. And it's just like, you know, for a guy that's been experienced and has had, you know, minutes at a high level, unforced turnovers, then you just cannot be doing that. So I actually asked Ewing about this yesterday. Uh, okay, here here it is. I, you know, I, I said, hey, look, is this is this one of the quicker guards you've coached since you've been, in, you know, at Georgetown? And, you know, is it the team adjusting to him or him adjusting to where the guys are? Because I think Nolan and I talked about a couple podcasts ago about, 
you know, particularly like Ego FA and Wahab, like some of these last, you know, last chance saloon passes, they're not ready for. Um, and Ewing said it's got to be a little bit of both. Um, he did say, and you don't hear a lot of criticism. Um, some of the passes that he's making, he has to think twice before he does it, which is, you know, with Santa Claus coming to town, that's really, you know, really uh, topical. Sometimes he drives in there and gets in there too far and has no outlet and turns it over where he should pass the ball, probably one dribble early. And I think that's kind of what we saw tonight um, against Coppin State. Obviously, Georgia had so many turnovers, 26 as a team. But the more alarming part was that Blair and Harris, Jalen Harris, combined for 12. Uh, today, Jalen, or I'm sorry, Javon, no turnovers. But Jalen Harris did have four turnovers to only two assists. So you're starting backward only had four, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he's trolling us, but I do think that his ability to kind of get to spots, he can get there, but then it's now what? And I think that's the problem. And I think that's where people were watching and, you know, tweeting. And I think I was even tweeting some stuff like, you know, it sounds crazy saying this against Villanova so early in the season, but I I don't know how long you can go with Jalen in there instead of Dante. And when Villanova made that run, by the time Dante got in the game, I think his three was in the second half. I want to say it was in the second half, but Villanova had come all the way back by the time Dante got in there. And I thought I was a little surprised by that. It, you know, it kind of made me feel like up in the Big East tournament, the last game of the last season, when Wahab played so well for you in the first half, and then he just stuck with Omir. I mean, it's obviously not the same, but I had a little bit of those feelings where you're just like, you know what? Maybe you want to roll with the freshman. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. I would say the other thing with Dante, it, my concerns with him were his physical profile just being a little small and that to go with the defensive end. But from everything we've seen so far, he can guard and he doesn't appear to be um, out of place playing in the Big East just physically. He looks like a bigger, stronger athlete than he was in high school. So I think Ewing, he's got to start thinking how much, how many more minutes can I give him? Because it is a veteran group. I mean, when you look at Blair, Pickett, Carey, and then Harris, I mean, those guys have all been around the block. They've been in college for four years. So I understand that he might not want to throw a freshman in there. But, I mean, we've talked about this. He's not coaching for his job this year. You, this group, I mean, nice effort against Villanova and West Virginia, which I didn't really think they had in them, but you got to build this for next year and the year after. And at this point, it's you're inching closer to having to give him more minutes for sure. Yeah, I, I, Dante, I mean, I, I, like I said, he's exceeded the, the expectations I would have had for him immediately. Um, he's definitely, there's, there's, a, there's definitely a future there. What's sort of what's sort of concerning though, like if you get into 
okay, you build the big lead and Villanova is able to eat into that. And it's basically a back and forth game, like, you know, five, six, seven minutes into the second half. Instantly. It felt like instantly. Yeah. I mean, actually the profile of this game is pretty interesting when you compare it to last year's game in DC, um, where Georgetown, I think Georgetown had a 14 0 run over the first and second half that like that game instantly became like within a few minutes of the second half, like basically a competitive game again, you know, where, but whereas, and probably the difference between what ends up being a one-point game last year and a 13-point game to me this year is in a tight game situation against a good, skilled, well-coached opponent, what is, what's the calming influence? What's the mature calming influence on your team out there on the court, especially if somebody who's going to have the ball in their hand? And really just the drop-off between, you know, grad transfer Terrell Allen and senior Jagan Mosley and what we've got right now, and it's not necessarily a knock against a specific player, but you can tell there's just, in a crunch time situation, there's just nothing, aside from the offense being kind of jangly here, there's just nothing that you can really go to and say that's going to take us over the finish line. That's what's going to, what's going to win it for us right now. Yeah. So, so guys, so I don't know if you guys, I, I can't remember, Nolan, if you're on record for their, a Big East prediction. I don't know about you, John. Maybe you might have tweeted it out. I trust you guys not to lie to me. Um, I think I had them at 5-15. and 15. Did this game change whatever your prediction was? And I'm sure it wasn't probably too far away from 5-15 and 15 is my guess. Um, you can't really go much lower. And I think to go a lot higher, that doesn't sound like something either of you guys would be blind homers on. Um, did this kind of, like I said, did this change your outlook on their possible Big East prospects? Or... Or no? I mean, it was one you could have stolen. Um, yeah. And they're going to be hard to come by. I I don't know if I made one on here, but I would have said 4 and 16 or 5 and 15. Yeah. Um, so this doesn't change that much. I mean, if you lose Sunday at home, that I mean, that's one of the games you, you might actually be favored in um, against St. John's. But, yeah, these missed opportunities, I mean, you look at it, I mean, just going off the compound, West Virginia's at six, Villanova is at, is at three. Um, you really had a chance in both of them, and they got away from you. I mean, both in kind of the last – I mean, West Virginia was – they kind of took control of that. Really not until, what, the five-minute mark? And then yeah. tonight it was – I mean, Villanova, it fell over, you know, when the second half started, but it was still <laughs> – I mean, you were, what, you did take the lead back with what sixty-one sixty with six minutes to go. Yeah. So I mean, you took the punch and you were still hanging there for a little bit, but you know, just to get one of those, it just would have been nice. I mean, even if they're not going anywhere this year, just to have a win to point to to say, hey, we can get this thing rolling in the right direction. So it's it's just been a missed opportunity. Yeah, I have I have a record down there. I'm on the record somewhere on Twitter. If you go back to my my tweet, I believe you. Um, I believe that you. That I, I said that it seemed like you know like a seven and eighteen, eight and seventeen season was a real possibility, and maybe in a likelihood. So that would have worked out to something like a five and fifteen, Big East mark. And what's what what's interesting is I think I probably have I probably would have the same prediction right now. But whereas I think what we've seen on the court so far. It's to me a little bit worse than what I thought, like in terms of like, doesn't seem like there's been much defensive strategic improvement. The offense looks really rough. Yeah. And some of the 
some of the, the, the contributions I expected to get made from the more experienced, like newcomers probably weren't quite there. But at the same time, I think with just like the, the environment that we're doing this college basketball season in um, is necessarily, and, and this is even divorced from a program that may be dealing with specific COVID, COVID like shutdowns or COVID delays or whatever. Pretty much every game that you're going to play this year is going to be in some kind of strange and unusual circumstance. I mean, just think about the atmosphere the players are having to endure, being largely isolated on campus, um, you know, not interacting with a lot of people. Practices are going to be very strange. You think about just this game, right? The last time Georgetown and Villanova played was before, what, 15,000 at the, you know, the Capital One Arena on a Saturday afternoon with maybe with Gus Johnson announcing who even remembers. They played tonight on a Friday evening in a game that was rescheduled late at McDonough. Um, you know, necessarily, there's going to be plenty of times this year where a game is going to turn on just a certain team for a variety of reasons. It's just not going to be up for the game and it's not going to show up. And I think, Nolan, you're pretty, you, you were referencing some of, some of Bob Huggins' comments before the West Virginia game and how he seemed to be signaling that West Virginia probably – wasn't going to be fully up for this game. And part of it may have been the hangover from Gonzaga. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, playing, I mean, Huggins actually has played in McDonough recently, uh, has yeah. coached there recently. But it did seem like, for different reasons, West Virginia and Nova were off for parts of these games. Like West Virginia had really the feel of a team that was like almost intentionally keeping it like in second gear the entire time until the final like eight minutes. No, no, but honestly, just they, they were having a really off first half and they kind of got surprised and it felt like at halftime they had to kind of psych themselves back up and remember, okay, like this is how we do things. And then the second half you go plus 26. Um, but that's going to happen. And maybe you can't steal in the end a game against like a, a West Virginia Villanova level team, but that second tier just below that in the conference, like is there any reason like you couldn't end up with a, a legitimate surprise against like the Xavier Seton Hall Marquette Providence level of the conference. I don't see why you're not going to end up winning one or two stupid games. Like yeah. just because of randomness. I think I totally agree with what you're saying, but I think, I think it would be easier to handle if the second half Villanova comeback didn't happen so quick. And it didn't happen with like the one guy that, you know, can just do it right. Like they didn't say, look, you know what? We had a great, first half uh, Villanova is not really clicking, but let's make it really difficult for them. Like let's not let Colin Gillespie just come out and make a couple threes that feel like layups. You know what I mean? Like that's the part. And like, so every team doesn't have a Colin Gillespie, but they have like their guy. Right. And we've seen over the years, last couple of years, like, you know, and I'm not saying they're at this level, but like, you know, miles Powell, um, you know, there's been guys on, you know, the end of games, like against savior and stuff, like everyone kind of knows who the other team has to get the ball to and Georgetown doesn't seem to do enough do a good enough job of recognizing that and you know don't leave Colin Gillespie right like let someone else beat you um who was it that went 0 for 5 in the first half um you know Jermaine Samuel like, he didn't take another three right you know it's probably like hey you know what this isn't working you're not you, you know so I think it'd be easier to stomach if maybe the game lasted in the balance longer and Gillespie wasn't the guy that's just doing what he has to do I mean look there, there's that, and there's also, you know, what's Georgetown's identity? You know, obviously Ewing brought in three centers last year. He wants to play centers. Um, 
that you normally leads to success down low and at least free throws. Colin Gillespie shot as many free throws as Georgetown's team combined. Right. So I, I, you know, I just, I can't figure out the identity of the team or I feel it's very frustrating to know that the opposing star is going to some, is is just going to have his way and it doesn't seem like it's schemed against. Do you think I'm being too harsh? I, I do no. feel like I do feel like right now, Bobby. By the way, do you have the box score in front of you, Bobby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were we? What was our free throw? What was it? What was our three throws for the game? Four for four. So actually, the funny thing was in the first half. I know who made those. It was Wahab and, and Ego Hefe. Those were the when only ones in the game. Throws, when they made those four free throws in a row in the first half, I was like, oh, maybe we are going to get really lucky tonight because those. I, I, what are the yeah. odds on those two guys making four straight? Right. No, I think I tweeted something like, you know, if, you know, I think you're, I think it was like 10 minutes left in the, in, in the half. And I said, look, Eagle FA just made two free throws. Like, I think your bingo card is complete, you know, based on all the other things that had happened. So I guess when I'm, when I'm watching the game and Georgetown can't score and you know, they want to go down low and maybe the calls just weren't going their way. You know, Wahab didn't score in the second half, but you would think that a team like Georgetown would, you know, find a way to get to the line when things aren't going well and they couldn't get a free throw on the second half. And you know, at least I think you know that, you know, Ewing wants to feature his centers. I mean, you know, he played Ego Efe in a game that's probably a game where you're better off going small. So I think those are probably the two most concerning things. And like, like, like I said, other stars generally have the ability to go off against Georgetown. I don't know if it's like an NBA thing where, you know, Ewing just feels like, you know, guys just have to guard better. He says that kind of stuff a lot. Um, obviously, that's just what he says to us. You know, I'm sure he's giving more detailed stuff in practice, but I just think it's a little it's a little surprising to know that they're going to go to Gillespie. They go to Gillespie. They get the success with Gillespie. I think that's a little deflating. I think the discouraging part is I think we might know the identity of this team, and it's one that constantly has defensive lapses. Yeah. And then offensively, you try to play the guards around the big man, try to get the ball inside. And if that doesn't work, you're kind of just stuck. I mean, obviously, you try to play in transition as much as you can. But when it turns into the half court, it's just trying to dump the ball inside. And if that stalls out, where do you really go? So I think I think they are in search of an identity. Um you know, those possessions that I mentioned earlier that just get stuck in Jamarco or Blair's hands, they're just not that caliber of player to bail you out, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's – but that doesn't concern me. I think overall, offensively, since Ewing's been here, he's had a pretty good big-picture overview of things, playing with tempo. I think they generally spaced the floor well. But it's just the defensive stuff that just – it's hard for me to see this coaching staff ever getting out of their own way on that end. And that's for me, that's most discouraging for sure. Uh, No, can I ask you a question? So what do you think, was there any kind of, that you saw any kind of schematic adjustment that, that Villanova made in the second half that would account for Wahab's field goal attempts, like getting cut in half and him going over four? Yeah, I have to rewatch that. It's, I mean, I'm sure Villanova had a little more focus on trying to prevent that. And then the times he did get it, he did not go up strong. Um, yeah. He didn't look like the same guy. And it's, yeah. it's what he ended up with 12 field goal attempts. Um, 
only two free throws. Yeah, I, I would have tried to keep going back to him. I, I do think Villanova, their ball pressure increased a little bit. Like, they really got up into the guards. Um, so yeah. that makes it a little bit tougher. But even Yeah. Even to the point I mean, they threw in, they threw in the, the zone press, too. I mean, they yeah. really tried to get after it. But I think encouraging, I mean, last year we kind of looked at Wahab as, okay, he's going to be a defensive anchor. He'll rebound the ball and whatever you get from him offensively is a bonus where now you kind of see offensively, I mean, UMBC and Navy aren't going to slow anybody down inside, but still he was 13 to 21 from the field. Then tonight he had it going in the first half, only, you know, a couple of games into the sophomore season, it's looking like he can be, you know, a, maybe not the main focus of the offense, but certainly a reliable option. So that, that is encouraging. It's at least encouraging that that was clearly the approach in the mm. first half. And like that, that, that was probably the right approach given the, 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 the makeup of the rosters. I just, I was curious if Villanova had done something specific as it seemed to drop so much off a cliff. I'd also add like, I mean, in the Coppin state game, like I think, Ewing was probably right to play the the rotation of guys he did, like give Tim comparatively few minutes, and they tried to they tried to drill it into Wahab in the first few minutes of that game, and realized like you know with some cues going you know with the team going four or five out, the Coppin did really wasn't going to work defensively, so they cut cues mm-hmm. minutes a lot too. So like I see evidence of like strategically like there's some ideas there that I think are are right. But I just don't know if you can sustain a coherent like plan and offense with the with the roster yeah. like, forty minutes. It just isn't going to happen. And I, I think it is. It's easy to forget that Ewing didn't have his team on campus until September. Yeah. And just as far as finding identity, maybe he would have liked to have installed his press again for the full complement of players. But you know, short in time. I mean, I'm sure he's just cut it down to the basics right now. That's why we do see a team that looks at least schematically much similar to what we've had in recent years. Um, I I just would really love for them to get an identity defensively. If it was, and we've talked about this, that it's the year to experiment and I'm not suggesting zone. I think they're a terrible zone defense team, but if you can mix in a pressure defense, not even, I think when Georgetown fans, they want the press. They want to turn people over like it's 1984. And I don't, you know, you look at what Villanova does a lot with their containment pressure. That should that be something Georgetown looks into? Because if you can shave some time off the shot clock, you know, the defensive lapses you've had maybe aren't as glaring if you can take eight, ten seconds off the shot clock. Have to work with less time. Yeah. So just I would just like to see any wrinkles added in there to kind of help them out. Yeah, did they run the zone for more than like the one possession where it pretty much instantly resulted in Gillespie getting a three? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I think that was the only one what? I recall. What was I the mean, more it's... egregious? What was the more egregious defensive possession? The one where they tried to go zone and gave up a three in like less than five seconds, or the first possession of a game where it took like less than five seconds for Villanova to get a pick and roll? <laughs> it's yeah. Whenever it feels like Ewing when he's ever he's really thrown zone in. I mean, he did do it for a handful of Coffin State possessions, right? But yeah, I mean, like the Syracuse games that cost him when he decided to go zone when his man defense was working just fine. It's it's puzzling, and it the zone does not look well coached at all. Whenever they throw it out there to me, 
it seems like usually it's it's only a, maybe a benefit like out of a timeout or some sort of dead ball like that where mm-hmm. you know other than that you know to get stuck in there the the results haven't been good enough to keep to keep trying it consistently um ewing was asked by uh kareem copeland of the washington post this is the only other quote that i bothered to transcribe as i was trying to get on here with you guys he said you know hey look you know you've basically the question is something like look you've had west virginia and villanova both on the ropes you know what do you need to do what needs to change to kind of complete the pass there and you know finish it up and he said well a quote that i know people were hitting me up on twitter about he said well look we just self-destructed in the second half um so he says with three minutes to go we were right there which i suppose that's right i think he probably meant four minutes to go but anyway he says i think it was a one-point game so a one-point game was after blair made that shot they were up by one for about a minute um until uh daniels hit a three but he says we were up by one and then we started worrying about who's shooting who's taking bad shots instead of just continuing to play so i've got the play-by-play here and let's see if we can think maybe you guys will think without even me telling you what happened but so georgetown's up by one there's a possession where cutis misses down low um villanova comes down they miss um then you come down blair misses a three uh then like i said daniels hits a three so now it's georgetown's down two um and then you've got the possession where uh, harris was trying to do a post trying to do an entry pass and it got deflected up and um, they came down and uh they scored again so now you're up four they come down. That's when Harris misses that layup, which was a pretty nice move to get open and just kind of spun around. Uh, it's a four-point game. And then they come down, they hit a, they hit a three, and it's, you know, it's 68-61 with 322 left. And then on that possession, you've got the offensive foul. And I was a bit surprised Pickett didn't get teed up. I think he got called for a traveler or a double dribble, and he definitely, like, spiked the ball. It was the, it was the under four. I think it was the under four TV timeout. And as we were going to break, I thought he was going to get teed up. But so as far as, you know, Ewing, I, I think, I think he, I think he's playing that right in front. I think it was Tim Clockerty. He's playing in front of it. He, he put the whistle in his mouth and Tim Clockerty definitely gave him the, the look and he gave him yeah. the look of like, you know, this game is probably already over right now. If it were close, I would have done it. Yeah. So. But so anyway, so who do you think he was maybe talking about with, you know, people are worrying about who's shooting, who's taking bad. He even said the phrase, who's taking bad shots. That always sticks in my head because I'd ask JT3 a lot, like, you know, what what's what's a good shot against the Syracuse zone? And we had like a, we had like a philosophical debate for like 20 minutes. It was <laughs> interesting. But like, I don't really know any of those shots were necessarily bad unless maybe someone's upset that Harris is deciding to take it to the hole. But he had a layup, it just, it just spun out. So I'm not really sure what he's talking about. Do you, do you think you guys know what he, what he might be talking about? Yeah. I'm not sure if I could pinpoint anybody specifically. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know. It maybe the one person who I look at, and I say this because they've improved in other areas is Blair that I don't think he needs to fire away from three as much as he does. I mean, he's kind of shown improvement off the dribble. Even, I mean, he was never anyone before who could make a play for somebody else. I think it's just his control and his ability to read the floor has gotten better where he can make some passes now. Yeah. Just because if you look at his three-point shooting, I mean, tonight he was one for five. For the season, he's at 14 for 44, 32%. I mean, eventually you are what you are, and there's four seasons now, and he's 32.8% for his career. 
So, I mean, if I was going to say anybody, hey, maybe redirect your offense in a different direction, just try to create a little bit more, um, it'd probably be him. Just because if, and, you know, Ewing has said, hey, he's our shooter, he needs to shoot. But do you really want, you know, a high-volume 32% three-point shooter? It gets, I don't think that the, the guys taking bad shots was specific to that period of the game. It pretty much was a feature of the entire second half, so I don't know if you could really narrow it down to that point. But I guess it gets back to the point I was making before of, you know, where is the mature leadership or the guy who's going to step up that you know you can go to in the late-game situations? Like, you know, these, you know, we are, like, at the under-seven timeout, it's a, it's a one-possession game, even down to, like, about the six-minute mark. When you're in these high leverage possessions, you know, your, your normal stuff, like sort of the freewheeling, like, you know, let's just shoot it up there, kind of run the pace stuff. It's not that much better than the other team. You're not going to, you're not going to out talent them or just out, you know, just random them in high leverage possession. So what can you go to when you have to actually put it in a structure and say, either we've got a go-to guy, or we've got a go-to thing that we're going to do. It just feels like, you know, in those big situations, you know, Nova's probably got multiple guys in the court that can do that, but they've got an offensive structure that will get them good shots. We do not right now. And so it, it seems it's, it's not surprising to me. That's why I said, it didn't feel like even though the games were close in like the final five minutes or so, it didn't feel like either West Virginia or Nova really should have been scared of us. It just felt like, yeah, of course they're probably going to not get great shots here. Do you guys think that they run enough stuff for Pickett? Like when Pickett's kind of feeling it like he was, you know, he erupted 10 of the first 17. He only scores six the rest of the way, four in the second half. Do you think that there's a way, because I think we've talked about it, you know, a million times is you don't really want him going to the hoop. That's usually, you're really asking for a turnover. Do you think, you know, I'm not saying he's got, he's the kind of shooter like, you know, Hollis, for example, or someone of that level, but you know, it does it didn't seem to me, and maybe maybe I just wasn't seeing it, that you're necessarily trying to get him going enough when he's kind of your guy right now. I think, and I, maybe on the podcast we brushed over this last year towards the end, was the improvement with his jump shot. Um, I don't yeah. know if it's their developmental coach now, Crouch, or who it was who kind of tweaked things, but I thought there was a difference in his jump shot kind of later towards the end of the year when he started to really shoot it well. And that has carried over this year where he's shooting 40% from three. But you're right. His limitations are he can't really dribble. And <laughs> when you can't put the ball on the floor, um, the work you have to do offensively to get him open looks is going to be pretty tough. So it's, I think like John said, I mean, where do you go? What's, what's the offense when you need a score? I mean, it just, Georgetown, to me, they run their offense from the 18-minute mark in the first half. They're going to run it the same at the two-minute mark in the second half, and it just it gets tough to do that. Yeah, it, it, there's no there's no like second option there. Did it seem to you like they tried to post pick it up a lot more in the second half? They were really trying to to, to push that. I thought. Yeah, and that's I think it's the same thing where. I mean, his arms are almost too long when he puts the ball on the floor that just can get stripped. So he's kind of backed into that. He's going to shoot a 15-foot fadeaway. And I don't know if that's really your highest percentage play there, but 
the good thing is he can get a shot off, so maybe that is where you go. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I think we could probably dust this one off. Um, you know, St. John's. You got St. John's where it was supposed to be UConn. I think I think UConn is, you know, on the balance, supposed to be a better team than St. John's. So I think you kind of, you know, might have worked your way into a more winnable game just by the way the scheduling is because of just everything that's happening, you know, in our in our country right now. Um, have you guys watched St. John's? You guys got the St. John's uh, scouting report ready or any uh, St. John's predictions? It's, I think it is a game you should win. I mean, it's typical Mike Anderson. They're going to fly up and down the court. They'll press you for 40 minutes. Probably a little short on skill. Um, although their fans at least seem to think they have a point guard this year with their freshman, Alexander. But I Posh. think, Posh. yeah, I think if Jalen Harris is going to show you something, it's going to be in this game because. He can fly up and down the floor. Um, he actually, I mean, he played for Mike Anderson, so he should be familiar with what's going on out there. Um, but I think him, Don Carey, Dante Harris, I think they can handle that pressure that they're going to see. Um, and you're going to have a game tempo-wise that's played where you want it. It's not going to slow down at all. Um, you'll have the best big man on the floor. You'll have more size. So. It's probably a toss-up, but at home, it's it's a game you need to get. They lost today in Newark to the Pirates of Seton Hall. It was 77-68. Seton Hall got that one. So you're going to have two 0-2 teams trying – or I'm sorry, two teams trying to avoid going 0-2. Um, you get the back-to-back with St. John's where, you know, maybe you can kind of bury them a little bit and then make the game a little bit – Put put even more pressure on them for your post exam exam matchup. Um, I definitely had them losing to Connecticut, but I think that you know if you want to find that path to a season that's better than maybe five and fifteen, like we're kind of thinking, I think that you you know you gotta you know Georgetown's still in that in that in that group right where you're kind of like looking around and your neighbors with DePaul and St. John's and maybe maybe Butler this season. Like this is probably a game you need to win. Right, John? Uh, happy Sorry. holidays, Toyota fans. You got two consecutive Georgetown St. <laughs> John's games. Like, thanks. I hate it. An entire week of sweater references. I've already entire, seen them on Twitter. Entire week of the Big East dumbest rivalry. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> there are two types of Georgetown St. John's games of late. There is the late final possession game that gets decided because somebody trips over their own, like, head. And there's the, like, 25-point blowout because one team blatantly no-shows the game. So you're going to get one of both. Uh, who does which one and what order they come in? Who knows? But, yeah, I don't even think the pandemic's going to stop the train that is Georgetown St. John's. I think it, – is it still true? I, I've looked this stat up many times. I don't think St. John's and Georgetown have played a game when they were both ranked since 1992. I think that's right. Yeah, it's something really bad. And yet we still talk about it. <laughs> we pretend we all get together and we pretend like this is relevant that if anybody cares about this um it might be fun though I, the, the the pace of this game might be something really fun so i'm, I'm here for that 
so I guess before we wrap up here, it does feel like we cheated on you a little bit the other night by going going for so long about early 2000 Hoyas. Um, is there anything that you maybe wanted to add? If you listened, did you miss? I mean, I think one of the more interesting things, and this is kind of how it went, obviously, because Braswell was on the other bench. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and then you had Pickett's rebounding game, which made me you know, get back to the Sweetney game against Syracuse. So everything kind of like stayed around there. And Georgetown was coming off of a rare two-game non-conference slide. And that led me to look up when the last time they lost three non-conference games and if you listened, it was crazy, right? Like the whole, you know, they lost to two Final Four teams in Maui in the semis and the and then the uh, third place game. And then, which we can only assume was a big John, I want to take a trip to Vegas. So you fly back and you stop in Vegas after you've been in Maui over Thanksgiving. And then Villanova, or I'm sorry, Villanova, UNLV just drubs you in the second half. And there you have your uh, three-game non-conference losing streak, the rare Georgetown and I think at that point you can call UNLV still like, you know, a power team where you play three straight power teams. Um, is there anything that you were listening and you were like, these idiots, they didn't mention this, or is there anything you want to add to this? Cause I know this is your wheelhouse. I do. I do want to just emphasize, and I can't, I'm being deadly serious when I say this, I cannot be emphasized enough. Um, it is the year of our Lord, 2020. And it's been 18 years since I've last crossed paths with him. But I still, when I walk down the street, I'm always looking over my shoulder in fear of Wesley Wilson. Um, <laughs> that man is like, uh, he, I, he probably I felt more physically imposing than even Tim does. And Wesley Wilson, I could, uh, could, clear, could kill a man with his bare hands. Uh, I, I, I wish that experience had lasted a little bit longer, honestly, at Georgetown, because he, he, he left, as you mentioned. Um, I have a memory of, in, in so this would have been the 2001-2002 season, maybe, maybe 2000-2001, actually, now that I think about it. I think it's the former. I think it's my freshman year. Did Wes get kicked out of the game at the Carrier Dome? I think he did. My recollection, I, I'm not sure about that, but I want to say – the first time that we knew Wilson like was gone, I want to say it was, you know, obviously the year that he left the program, it was at a Syracuse game on TV and they said, Oh, you know, Wesley Wilson isn't with the team for oh. whatever reason. And I'm like, Oh, that's it. He's, 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 cause at that point guys were, you know, going to France and things were happening yeah. and it was like, you know what? I, I don't think he's going to play again, but I don't know if what you're saying is right. I think I, I'm, I have a very good, I'm pretty sure West got kicked out. And I think it was the 2000, if we played Syracuse at the Dome in 2001, I know we won at home that season. And I know it wasn't the Gerald right the game we won in 2002. I think he got kicked out of the game in 01, um, which I, I, he, I forget what it was he did, but it was something pretty egregious, like which would maybe qualify as like the most egregious thing a, a Georgetown player did in a game during the Eshrick area. But like Harvey Thomas literally bit a guy. So, you know. um, yeah, you know, the, 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 do you happen to know, Bobby, I know that you mentioned that Pickett's 18 rebounds were the most in Sweetney in that overtime game. Did you go deep enough to know when the last time somebody did that in a, in a regulation game? No, I, the, the, the stats get kind of, kind of, kind of dicey that I have access to. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. There's, I, yeah, there's a little, there's a little great inflation for Coppin State because Coppin State was, was, was doing some serious bricklaying. Right. In the second half there but i i was very happy randomly that 
that game, that that Georgetown Syracuse game, Sweetney did the the near thirty and twenty in. Mm-hmm. It's been on ESPN Classic. It was on at least once and maybe twice during the uh, the time in the spring when I was home full time during the pandemic, and I, I got to to watch it a couple times, and it was really fun. Like I, I was at that game. Like it was a great atmosphere. Like I mean, you got to see Carmelo too in his his one season, but. Yeah, that's a, that's got to be like as far as individual performances, man. Like it's it's that, and maybe like a couple, like a crazier Otto Porter games. You got to put up there. It, it was it was something else, and just the fact that I mean that's 2018. Look, Coppin State or no? That's a, that's a, that's a stat line. That is a stat line. Oh yeah. Put up. So congrats to him. Yeah. I mean, no 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 complaints there. I know it's a little inflated, but you got to work to get there. No, I mean you absolutely have to. Uh... I want to say at that Syracuse game, I know I mentioned it. I'll mention it again that that was the that was the last game where I was like, "Look, I clearly need season tickets." Because at that point, I'd been out of college. I think it was my first year out of college, and um, you could just show up and get tickets, you know. And we showed up, me and a couple friends, and we waited in line forever. And literally, we're sitting at the top of the four hundred level. <clears throat> But um, there was a lot of Syracuse fans that were wearing shirts that said "Real Men Stay Two Years." I'll never forget that. Um, you know, for <laughs> Carmelo to stay because obviously he was not going to stay. Um, I guess his second semester. I don't know how much you know paying attention in class was going on when you know that you're <laughs> out the door. And I'm not suggesting well, he should have been. You know, I mean, I'm just, you know whatever. But I'm just the idea that there would have been some lunatics that thought he was staying for a second year. <laughs> Well, you know. on the plus side, thank God we've confirmed the manhood of Mac McClung, man. Phew. <laughs> um, so, okay, look, I, I, I'm, I'm really appreciative of the opportunity to talk and wax with you, you guys about truly the golden era. Yeah. Um, but I, I, what I really want to talk about is something like history adjacent and generationally adjacent here. Can mm-hmm. we talk about the uniforms tonight? And can we talk about, like, the discourse around the uniforms tonight? Um, what do you mean? This was, for, again, it cannot be emphasized enough. Um, let's earn this. These uniforms are cool shit. Um, I, have, so happy, I have the Iverson. I, I have that shirt. Who doesn't? I, I am wearing, um, if you go to, <laughs> I, don't know if I don't know if they're in stock right now. If you go to 1999 right now, 19nine.com, you can buy the retro Allen Iverson gray threads that I am wearing right now as I do this podcast. Um, so, I am so happy. Quick. I yeah. have those. Do you feel like the gray is a little bit weird color? Um, I don't know. Maybe a little bit? the lighting's not great in this room. Maybe it's a little bit lighter. Okay. Um, the kente is the kente is fantastic. The kente is intact. That is what's important. And um, they have pockets. That's true. Um, can I can I just say I'm so happy that Georgetown did this. Um, I made sort of a snide comment on Twitter today that like it's not. You know, it's not, I, I do sometimes get on Georgetown for being a little too history obsessed and a little too willing to look back rather than look forward. I, that, that's a, that's a, I'm not entirely ragging on a certain person who was making that point today. Um, it's not that I, we shouldn't be looking at our history, but sometimes I feel like too many people in McDonough feel like Georgetown history stopped in 1987. And to finally, I'm being totally serious and, and, and genuine here. Um, it is, there is plenty of stuff in lots of different eras of Georgetown history that is really cool. We have a tremendous brand and a tremendous history in this program, but it's not confined just to like seven years during the Reagan administration. 
Like, I'm really happy that they're sort of trying to celebrate something. And look, 1984 stuff is great, too. But this is such a clear win for Georgetown to be emphasizing the Iverson era. And, like, if you just looked at the the reactions and the engagement that that tweet got, first of all, I'm pretty sure it's the most engagement any tweet that Athletics account has ever sent has gotten. Um, but it's uniformly positive. It's Georgetown fans. It's fans of the Big East. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And, like, one guy who is not a fan, apparently. Um, yeah, but, you know, I actually tweeted to him, and I said, look, because, you know, I've – I've sort of leaned in hard on the title blue and he has a problem with that too. So my question is like, what do you want? Like, what, what, what do you want? No, and what do we want? <laughs> we want the 1996 uniforms. I keep those forever. I mean, it's, it really is the most identifiable thing for people on the outside with this program. You have some, the Georgetown uniforms, that's what they think of. They think of the Iverson ones and the Air Jordans he wore. Um, so to embrace that, I mean, I've, we've been waiting how many years to see those. It was just a no brainer. I, I don't really see it's only a positive. I mean, in a season that's probably not going to be that great and a pretty bad year. I mean, that was nice to see tonight. I think it'll be interesting if they continue to wear them, right? Yeah. I will say seeing Jalen Harris wear number three is a little odd with it, but (laughs) I, I, I would keep wearing them for sure. If they break out, if they break out a a road blue version of those, I I I might explode honestly. Um, <laughs> that's that if you got to put those things, it is um it is probably too late for Christmas. So you got to put those things on the the store right now, man. That is, you are printing, you are printing money right now. If you are Georgetown and you put those jerseys out, man, that is that's amazing. I you know and it. It's not it's not bad to be, you know, you know, reverent of your history and celebrate your history. Just be inclusive about it. I think Georgetown is too restrictive. Like they're too focused on like the sweater game when like there's clearly an appetite for celebrating different parts of your history. Like, it, you know, Bobby, you and Howie and Nolan and I to some degree, like we're, we're a little bit hipstery in this, but we're willing to celebrate the Eschrick era for goodness sake. Like, People really attach themselves to the part that, you know, that they experienced when they were students, but be inclusive about it. Don't let just the people who are around when we won a national title say that we're the only history that matters here. Um, sell the gosh darn jerseys, man. They're so cool. I do want to say, I think I might have tweeted it recently, but or I was talking to somebody, but I would have never thought 10 years ago when um, I was a season ticket holder still. I just started covering the team. I think it was about 10 years ago. But I would have, I would have wanted to almost fight you if you were like, you know, you're going to look back fondly on what happened, you know, when you were in college and just after college. And I'd be like, no, like we're, you know, at that point they're in a great place. Right. And I do think it it happened, like you said, over the summer we were doing the brackets, but it wasn't as bad as it seemed in the moment. You know, like in the moment, it was like, oh, but, you know, you people forget that like the last years of Big John coaching, they weren't that great either. And it was kind of a continuation. And I think Eshrick, he's got that, you know, that same thing where most coaches, when you follow a legend, the next guy's just not going to be remembered very fondly. But I think over time, it's aged a lot better, right? Like they were in an NIT final, like they made the Sweet 16. Like 
they probably got screwed out of a tournament bid. And if they go to the NIT, maybe they do, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's a lot better than what's happening right now. And I think that's where I come at the whole thing. And it is fun to remember the past and, you know, caring more and being able to spend more time on it maybe as like a fan or whatever. But um, yeah, I would have not thought that I'd look back at that time so fondly. And now I could literally think we could just start a, we could start an offshoot podcast called <laughs> title blue talk and just only talk about the Escher gears. And I think I would be, I'd find a way to make it happen. Well, you know, the thing about those teams is when you do look back and it didn't feel like this in the moment because they blew so many winnable games. Oh, yeah. Those teams were good. I mean, yeah. no one team, obviously. But if you look at 02 and 03, I have Kempom pulled up. Like, they were 36 end of the year, Kempom and 02, 35th and 03. Um, specifically, that 03 team with Mike. Like, I never gave up on them all through the Big East tournament. Like, I thought they had a run in them, which they actually did in the NIT. But, I mean we would kill for a team to be ranked 35th in Kempom right now. I mean, we haven't been there since <laughs> what? I mean, 2015. Hey, look finished the year there. Look at the offensive and defensive ranks too. Like that's where it's like, Oh my God, like what a, what a flip to what it is now. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's when you still have some I mean, heart left to be broken. Right. <laughs> like it hurts. It hurt a little bit in the moment blowing so many games because that team had some potential. Right. Yeah. Like that team could have been something if they hadn't just catastrophically blown it. I was actually kind of disappointed. I was trying to, for this, I was prepping for this podcast. I was trying to go back and find like a specific Villanova disaster in the Esherick era, like with the four years I was there. And there really isn't one. There's like, there's an overtime loss. There's one where like we kind of blew a big lead late and lost by three, but it wasn't like, it's not like we, you know, did the four overtime thing or did the not fouling down one with 39 seconds left thing, but. Yeah, like or did the uh, six guys on the court thing? It I was say, almost uh, it was almost the phone card game that they barely scraped yeah, out a win there. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the phone card game. Yeah, like I mean, Jay, that was Jay's first year, right? To, to Jay or maybe Latter so. Latter Day Lapis's credit, like <laughs> you know, I, I I thought Mike Bray perfected like the emergency usage of the burn offense there that year or two, but man, Jay. Jay almost got us there in the first round of the Big East tournament, man. It was it was something. Yeah, those teams, I will say, I do think those teams, and like, yeah, I, I love a player like Jagan Mosley, and I love a player like Terrell Allen, who like really give their heart to the program, but those, those Eshrick era teams had some interesting personalities. You cannot deny that like a team mm-hmm. that had like a Wesley Wilson and like a Demetrius Hunter on the team and like the brief cameo of Harvey Thomas, like... <laughs> um, whatever Drew Hall, Drew Hall was doing with his hair. Like it, th- there were a lot of really fun characters on those teams and big Mike and big Mike, you know, big Mike's you know, dad was sort of the forerunner to Jeff Green's mom in a way too. Like it, it, there was a lot of personality and like, I, and Craigers come on the podcast coward. Like Craigers, <laughs> man. I, I, I love that guy. I would, I would, I would go have a beer with that guy right now. Well, I'm lucky enough to have run into him at the bar a couple of times, but we haven't had beers. Actually, once, no, it's not true. Once, once we did not, not planned, but I saw him again. Um, yeah. I want to say it was in the one tournament where they beat Providence, like right at the end. I want to say Drew Hall had like a wraparound pass to somebody for a late either layup or dunk. And then I'm pretty sure they lost in overtime to Miami. And you know who always used to like, I don't know what the relationship was, but Digger Phelps at that time 
those Georgetown teams, you always had them as this team could make a run, and I always believed it. Yes, your your tournament hopes in 2002 foiled by Perry Clark. <laughs> I always, I always believed it. Um, but yeah, John, I'm 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 really sorry that we had such a long, a long discussion. There there was just so like I said, so many things were aligning that you you couldn't not talk about them with Braswell in the building and Sweetney's rebounding record coming up. And it was just, it was just, you know, too much going in that, in that direction. Check Um, it out. If you can, if you can, I don't know if you can find this on YouTube or somewhere, if it's just sitting out there in ether somewhere back in the day, like early two thousands when ESPN was doing those like sports century documentaries mm -hmm. around the turn of the millennium, they did like a kind of a short spinoff, like half hour ones, I think on some college athletes. And there's one on Juan Dixon. It's actually really good. Um, where I think Braswell and Escherich are both interviewed in it, too. I remember watching that when we were in college. Juan Dixon, by the way, tremendous press conference energy. Holy crap. <laughs> well, did you, did, did you see what they, what they did? There's, there's something to that. <laughs> like, yeah. They went and just, just whooped up on a UNC Greensboro, a program yeah. that basically brought Georgetown to its knees last year. Yeah. You know, um, not not just with the result of the game, but in the the aftermath, basically changed Georgetown's trajectory <laughs> dramatically. Right? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. Here's uh, a question: Is is the 03 NIT final the last significant St. John's Georgetown game? Boy, um, let's see. I mean, the time they beat us, the good Lavin year when they won an MSG was big for them, but it wasn't much of a game. Was there, so there was, it felt like, maybe it was just because I was at this game. I feel like it was the beginning of the, like, 20, the season ended in 2011, where there was a game that was at least close that they won by, like, three at the end in the guard, maybe on a weeknight. I felt like at least, I don't think, not both teams couldn't have been ranked. Georgetown probably was by that point. It felt like there was at least some intrigue there. Um, but just, yeah, that's, that seems always like underwhelmed me about this, like FS1 and like Georgetown really try to make this rivalry happen, especially when Ewing and Mowing were around. And just, if you look at the, the matchups, it just has not been a good matchup for like a quarter of a century now. Like it just doesn't make any sense. When I, when I was in like peak peak, like I was going to so many games, I've done some crazy things. Um, I'm sure you guys have too, but I think it was the year after the final four, 2008. And I decided like, you know what, why wouldn't I just go to the game tonight at Madison square garden? I, you know, I went to work for a little bit. I got off. I took the train. I went to the game. I came home, but the game was like, I'm looking at it now. It's 74 42. And I'm like, what in the world did I just do? <laughs> like, you, you, like why, why did I just do that? St. John's is terrible. And they just haven't found a way to be both of these programs be good at the same time. Georgetown has been good more, but there have been some times where St. John's has been better. And Georgetown, you know what I mean? Like they just can't get to that point where, like you said, it's been since what, 92 that they've both been ranked at the time that they play. Yes. Uh, so, but stay tuned uh, on Sunday night for the Kente Corner podcast recap of Georgetown and St. John's, two jalopies <laughs> colliding with each other. <laughs> I don't think either of you have signed up on my very well organized email. I think Howie's back. Um, I definitely would be interested in 
and someone else coming on. I think a three-person pod's good. There's not enough helium in the world to make me talk coherently about Georgetown St. John's for an hour, Bobby. You know that. <laughs> well, we've been relying pretty heavily on Nolan. So, Nolan, if you're not busy, let me know. Don't, you, don't have to do it. You don't have to do it right now, but you can. <sighs> Is that it for Kente Corner after After Dark? I, th- I think we got it, Bobby. <laughs> Everyone, Nailed if you're it. still listening, please subscribe, rate. Let me know how it's doing. Let me know what else you want. Let me know if you want less of me, more of them. It's fine. Just go on, subscribe. Let me know what's going on. At Florida Hoya, at Nationwide Nolan. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Cheers, Bobby. Thanks, guys. <laughs> See you.